Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Wednesday, April 26, 2018 edition. You are in for a great treat. It is my friend Mark Sellers joining us on a very powerful show. He is going to be this weekend. So think about that. You're getting a sneak peek at something that he hasn't even done yet. He is going to be in Montrose, Colorado. That's right, at the West Coast Church of Deliverance, Monty and Sharon Mulkey Spring Conference. They're amazing Deliverance Weekend. It's so powerful. One of my very good friends and my co-author to Power Prayers, Carla Butad is going to be out there. Mark Sellers, Monty and Sharon, so many new people. If you live anywhere close, get out to this. It's this weekend, April 27th, 28th, 29th, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It is going to be powerful. There is people from my prayer group, my intercessors going. It is going to be amazing. WCCD.com. Go there right now. You'll see the banner. It says click here for the April 27th event. There's still room, so do get registered for that today. you have any questions, you can also contact them over there. Again, WCCD.com. Mark Sellers, I'm going to hand you the mic on this teaching, my friend. Get into it, and then you throw it back to me when you're ready. What I wanted to discuss, I've been asking the Lord what what to bring as a teaching. What is it that we need as people? And God answered in two ways. First, he said, I want you to explore Stockholm Syndrome. And secondly... As I was doing that, he said, he's going to teach me with on-the-job experience this ourselves and our family. And boy, has he done that in the past month or so. And so tonight, I'd like to give kind of an overview of Stockholm Syndrome in the spiritual realm, what I call spiritual Stockholm Syndrome. And so to begin with, what is Stockholm Syndrome? That may be a term that that we've heard through the news over the years, especially in the case of Patty Hearst. She's probably one of the more famous, uh, quote, victims of Stockholm Syndrome. But Stockholm Syndrome is, in essence, it's a psychological tendency of a hostage to bond with, identify with, or sympathize with his or her captor. And so we see this in the movies. Uh, Disney's movie Beauty and the Beast is probably one of the best animated. Of course, they just made a live action film uh, of Beauty and the Beast. But it's one of the best examples of how someone who is in a hostage captive situation actually develops some kind of bond, emotional bond, um, fondness, defending, uh, attraction, supporting their captor. And from the spiritual side we find the same thing. In the demonic realm, we find that there are demonic setups that happen through our lives. It may start in the womb. It may start years later. And we're, we're literally taken captive, as the Word says. Uh, that In First John, it's recorded that the whole world lies under dominion of the evil one. And we are taken captive to serve the enemy. And why is it then that we find that there are people in the physical realm who are literal captives. They're literal hostages. They have been abused and treated in in just horrific, inhumane ways, yet they develop a fondness. They develop these attractions. They develop these feelings and emotions and actions which seem to defy logic to support the ones who are treating them so badly. And there are some famous cases of Stockholm Syndrome throughout the years. I mentioned one, Patty Hearst, is one that we know about, and uh, there are some others. There's there's a, a, a movie, and I think it's coming out or just came out, about a young girl named Elizabeth Smart, and there are some other famous ones. Then we may 
dive into those just briefly during this time of teaching. But the bottom line, what we have is we have this situation where in 1973, this is where it started. In 1973, in Stockholm, Sweden, there was a group of hostages being held by a bank robber. He stormed the Stockholm Bank in Sweden for six days, and he took captives, held them, I believe, in the bank vault room, and threatened various things, and I don't believe he ever delivered on any of those. Uh, There were four hostages, and over that period of time, it was 131 hours, almost six days, they found that at the end of the ordeal, that there were some of the people there who were attracted to their captor. They were supportive. They were not willing necessarily to to allow the police and the officials to come in, storm the bank. They were afraid, actually, that those people, the police, the authorities, would harm them rather than their captor, who was the bank robber. And there were some rumors that flew around that one of the hostages would be engaged to the bank robber. And those have been, for the most part, proven false. But there are cases now, many years later, where that has proven true. There are cases where the hostages have actually had children. They have actually visited their captors in prison. They've written them love letters. They've supported them through testifying, etc. And on and on and on this situation goes that is a psychological phenomenon that baffles many of the professionals today. They still wonder, what is it that causes people to be in this situation that just doesn't make any sense? And what you and I would consider to be a bad situation, they end up coming out of it almost the opposite that we might where we would maybe hate, where we would try and run, we would try and get out, we would do anything to get out of that situation. Many, not all, many of these hostages end up doing the exact opposite. And so the behavioral science realm, the world of psychologists and psychiatrists and and the quote professionals, they have kind of boiled it down to three characteristics. And if someone possesses certain characteristics that we'll look at in a little bit and are in situations that have these characteristics or attributes, then the odds go up in that they may actually turn toward their captor rather than away. And these three things are this. The hostages have negative feelings about the police or other authorities. The second one is the hostages have positive feelings toward their captor or captors. Many cases, the captors, it's plural. It's not usually just one. The third one is the captors develop positive feelings toward the hostages. So we have a mutual affection, so to speak, going on. And there there are some things that are done in these situations to create these feelings, to create these situations in in this phenomenon. The event usually lasts for several days or longer. In some cases, it's years. The hostage takers remain in contact with the hostages. Um, There are cases of a young girl who was kidnapped and uh, this deranged individual who kidnapped her actually built a complete living area basically underneath his basement. And that girl grew up, uh, had children, just lived her entire life in that scenario. 
so we have a, a situation that lasts for a period of time more than just you know two three hours because of what I've already said in 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 characteristics two and three there has to be time for these feelings to emote to, to be developed for this relationship to build so to speak and there has to be some constant contact in many cases such as the one that the the movie i forgot the name of the movie i'd mention it is they actually went out in public they put a disguise on the young lady and they went out in public shopping in fact ultimately that's how they were caught at the end someone recognized them and then thirdly the hostage takers show some kindness toward the hostages or at least refrain from harming them. And the hostages abused by captors typically feel anger toward them and don't usually develop the syndrome, but there are exceptions to that as well. And and we may touch briefly on that, but just be aware that that there are uh, some pretty well-established guidelines in the behavioral sciences uh, realm and obviously in the spiritual realm uh, of truth in God's word that can lead us to, to kind of that victimhood place. Builds, it gives us a propensity, if you will, uh, a tendency to leaning towards this uh, willingness to submit to a captor, especially if they show us kindness, especially if, for example, in the, the original event in 73 in the bank in Stockholm, Sweden, there were acts of kindness. They gave them water. They didn't kill them. They spared their life. They allowed them to do certain activities that would seem contradictory for someone who was a hostage. And it's those little things that add up over time for someone who has this propensity to be a victim. One of the things that you you discover for the people who come out of Stockholm Syndrome is they they tend to report the same symptoms as those who would be diagnosed with uh, PTSD, for example. They might have insomnia, they might have nightmares, you know, this kind of this general low-level depression, irritability, difficulty concentrating, easily started, things would trigger them, uh, unreality, confusion, they no longer can enjoy things that maybe they enjoyed before, etc., Flashbacks often occur and other things. The psychiatric, psychological, and world offers guidelines and suggestions on how to be identify if you're susceptible to be in a situation like this. They offer some general treatment protocols, such as PTSD, etc. But at the end of the day, what don't they do? Well, they don't truly, as you know, get into the real root problem. What is the real root problem of Stockholm Center? Why, why am I even bringing this up? But this is, you know, we're supposed to be talking about deliverance, we're supposed to be talking about truth, the Word of God, and warfare, and the difference that Christ makes in our life. And that's exactly why I'm talking about this, this is exactly why God asked me to, to research and study this and, and find out how does it apply, because the root of this is all demonic setup. It's all the enemy realm. It is all the kingdom of darkness and how they work and how they operate. And everybody born is born, as the words of God says, into the kingdom of darkness. And in the kingdom of darkness, we are literally what? We are literally hostages. We have been taken captive by the enemy. We are created by God to be his and to be in a relationship with him as exemplified in as Adam and Eve in the, in the garden. And in walks Satan, you know, the great Satan, and he walks in, and then we have sin entering, and we have the fall, and now everybody is born under that curse. We are captives. Who are our captors? In this case, it is plural. Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to look at some of the captors that hold us in bondage. And it doesn't end there, Sheila. The reason Stockholm Syndrome is so fascinating and so baffling to so many people is 
because the captors are plenty. The demonic setups that lead us into this are incredibly complicated sometimes. They are planned with long periods of strategy. You can look at situations in the natural realm of a hostage situation, and you can see the parallels in the spiritual realm. For example, let me give you a for instance. The case I told you about where the young girl was abducted and literally grew up and had children in this underground kind of subterranean mini house was an example of what we're talking about. That man, that demon-filled individual who perpetrated that crime didn't just wake up that morning He didn't wake up on Tuesday and go, I think I'll go kidnap a girl and throw her in the basement. Now, it took him months, if not years, to prepare, to build, to create all of the things. He had had false personas. He had uh, all of this strategy. He, He had this entire blueprint, scheme, device, design in his mind enacted. Everything was in place until that one day when he said, okay, I'm done building. I'm done with all of this work. I'm going to go find the young girl to capture. This is what we're dealing with. We are dealing with an enemy who strategizes even longer than that, plans even better than that, creates all kinds of substructures, infrastructure, systems, etc. to support what ultimately will happen to those of us at that one time were captive. We were all hostages. Some still are today. And so that's why we're talking about this tonight. There's an interesting quote. Will we have the courage to continue or will we fall? back into captivity, because at least in Egypt, we were well fed. And that kind of summarizes this mentality. It kind of summarizes this, uh, I mentioned earlier, this victim, this victim speak, if you will, this victimhood mental thought process that goes on with these people. And tonight, I'm going to offer to your listening audience, this weekend, to those who come to the workshop and those who hear the recordings from that, offer God's freedom, because he did not create us to be captives. He did not create us to be hostage to anyone. He has come, Galatians 5 says, Christ has come to set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has saved us. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for him, for God himself. And so let's take a look at some things that the enemy uses here to enact and to enforce this idea of Stockholm Syndrome. I trust that that the explanation, the definition, the stories make sense. Again, if not, it's readily available, Stockholm Syndrome. There's literally tons of information on the internet um, you'll find it in, in medical research, you'll find it in, in the, all of the science, psychiatry, psychology, um, all of those sciences. But what you won't find a lot of is what I'm about to share. At the end of the day, from a spiritual point of view, what happens to someone who has been taken captive? We are born into captivity, and then we, as we grow up, we make choices, good, bad, or otherwise, and we end up in situations where we may be even more of a hostage. The captors take will take on the role of a false savior. They take on a role of a false hero. They take on a role of our helper. As we talked about earlier, some characteristics of Stockholm Syndrome, if you boil those down at the end of the day, it's summarized with that quote. I'm going to read that quote again. Will we have the courage to continue? In other words, what continue means going in the direction out of Egypt, right? The Israelites, out of Egypt. Beautiful picture, by the way, of that, of walking away from captivity. Or will we fall back into captivity because it at least in Egypt, quote-unquote, whatever Egypt is, we were well-fed. In other words, 
the captors are set up as our heroes. They're set up to be our providers. They're set up to be our feeders. They're set up to be our need meters. They are set up to be our saviors. One of the key ingredients of creating a Stockholm Syndrome victim mentality in the hostage, that situation, is that the captor has to have a close relationship in order to exhibit these characteristics, to fulfill these roles. They must offer these things. Now, there's abuse and there's negative consequences and there's discipline and punishment. There's all of that stuff, and we'll get to that. But they have to be seen literally from a spiritual realm as our God. And that, as we know, is called what? Submitting ourselves to idols. That's idolatry. And the enemy plays us like a fiddle. He knows our propensity. He knows that that we are wired, as the Apostle Paul says, that we will serve someone. See, God has ordained this to be so. Let's take a step outside of this discussion really quickly uh, for a roadmap, and if I get lost where we started from, she'll (laughs) reel me back in (laughs) to to where we we just left off. God has ordained us to serve someone. We talked about this in the show we did. I think it was last November, actually, when we talked about the throne. And you see, the throne is the center of our heart. That's the center of our soul. That is who we are. That is our command and control center. It's where our our steering wheel is, so to speak. You know, if you go on these big, ginormous cruise ships and those big ships, you know, it's a huge ship. And and you know, the captain's up there in this in this control center and with a what you would call a steering wheel. And that entire ginormous entity, this big ship that goes out in the oceans and navigates, is done so metaphorically, at least, if not realistically, with a steering wheel. One steering wheel. That's the word of God says, I believe it's in James when he's talking about the tongue, you turn a big ship with what? Just a little rudder. And you see who what's the little rudder of our life? It's our it's it's the throne. It's the control center of ourselves. And that's our heart. And God has wired in us. He's put in our literally in our DNA. He has created us in this manner that we will serve someone. Whoever sits on our throne will give us our marching orders, so to speak. And you see the principle that we extract out of that is this. God has created that throne to be his. He is the only one with the right to sit upon that throne, as we talked about in that show. Go back and find that show and listen to it, because this is the nugget of truth here in how God has made us. It's when we talk about the why, you know, why did I do something? Why do I do something? Why do I want to do something? We've got to understand that. And the principle that I'm getting to that was the preamble, is this. Everything that God has made, everything that God has ordained, every manner, every way, every operating system, if you will, of the things that God has created works in a certain manner. Who knows that better than our enemy? All he can do, Sheila, is usurp those things. Because remember, he cannot create anything. He doesn't have the creative power that the Lord God Almighty has. He holds that exclusively. All the enemy has to use, all that's in his bag of tricks, is what God has created. And so in this case, what has God created? He's created a throne. He's created a heart. He's created the need in us for a savior. He's created the desire in us for a God, for a hero, for a helper, for someone who will be our provider and our protector, someone who will stand around us, someone who will be our defender, someone who will be our need meter. 
And he has also ordained in his creation that we we look for that, we seek for that, we pursue that. We may not even be aware of it. It's usually on a subconscious level. It's Again, it's something in our heart that we don't fully discern all the time. But when we find something, we will serve one and one only. God clearly tells us in his word, we can't serve. Jesus said this, you cannot serve two masters, right? Thus saith the Lord, this is the way God ordained it to operate, and it will not be violated. It will never be violated. You cannot violate these universal principles that God has put in, that the laws of God cannot be violated. You're asking, Mark, what does that have to do with this? Here's what it has to do with it. It has to do with that the enemy is constantly, constantly tempting us, constantly throwing in our lives, constantly orchestrating engineering. Remember that that, that, that tremendous long period of strategy that guy had to build that whole substructure under his house for something that he planned that probably took years? The enemy has been doing that for centuries, Sheila. He's been doing that for probably millennia. But all of that is to get us to a position where we will willingly invite this captor, invite that false savior, invite that false hero, invite that false need meter, invite that false helper onto our throne instead of God. And in fact, in fact, according to the definition of Stockholm Syndrome, the criteria characteristics of the hostages, we will, if we're under this situation, we will see God, just as those hostages saw the police and the authorities, as what? That's right, the bad guy. And we will actively fight. We will actively fight against our rescue. We will actively fight to defend our captors. We will actively put ourselves in a situation to reject the help, and we will stay submitted to our captor. Now, it's a good time for a little Q&A, Sheila. Does that sound like a good plan? Not at all, right? Who are these captors? Because they come in many forms, shapes, and sizes. But I've discovered some broad categories or groupings of them. The first one are protectors, also known as protectorates, also known as governors. They have all the weight and authority of, of the you know the homeland, the home empire, and, and they're there, the local uh, presence, to rule that area. What do we call that? We call it, one thing we talk about, we talk about territorial spirits. We talk about regional entities. We talk about these kinds of things. And uh, a protectorate in one's life does exist, absolutely. And we have protectors. We have these demonic entities that are basically ruling class entities whose job it is to do all the bidding to enable, to enact, to implement the will of the one that sent them, which is usually not some little MPP on entity. It's usually somebody far more powerful. Uh, we encountered one night in, in, in praying for a young man. We had been praying for a while some things and, and and he had come out of a very similar background through a variety of situations that happened to him he was very very young and i kept asking the lord okay lord what's at the bottom of this and we finally found out after all these uh, other ones left we were left with this entity who called himself a big black grizzly bear but he was definitely a grizzly bear and he tried to you know normal intimidate us you know flex the guy's muscles and try and make himself look, you know, bigger, bigger, bigger. By the way, just as an FYI to people, when the enemy intimidates you like that, remember this. This is what God showed me. When a cobra expands and puffs out, does his fangs get any bigger? No, his fangs never grow. And that's, a re that's just a reminder for us all uh, in deliverance that when the enemy 
puffs up and tries to intimidate. Don't let it throw you off kilter. The bear stood up and got proud and puff. And if you've ever hunted bear, the worst, the last thing that they should do is stand up because they're vulnerable. It's very difficult to bring a bear down when they're on all fours charging. But when they stand up, they're done. So anyways, this bear was about done and he spilled the beans. I asked him, okay, what is your job? He's a protector. What do you do? Well, the inner, he destroys the communication, destroys everything. Anyone that was in this young man's life as a godly input, godly speaking, godly relationships, godly authority, all of that, this bear's job was to destroy all that and protect the boy. He was sent and worked for the protector. And I said, okay, who sent you? Who let you in? Well, the beast, he said. He called him the beast. We were praying with a young woman one night, and God made it clear, the Holy Spirit made it clear after quite some time, and this is where I'm going to go with this message, so this is why I bring this up right now. Nothing was going in. We're asking the Holy Spirit, what is it? What is what is going on? And finally, what was identified was that she had a protector assigned to her from the womb, and the protector had a name. The Lord gave me an image of it. This was a huge knight in shining armor that wasn't quite so shiny from head to toe. Everywhere you could look, there wasn't one opening anywhere. It was armored head to toe. And that was her protector. And so, make a long story short, the angels began to dismantle the armor piece by piece because the Holy Spirit said, well, how does he put it on? Piece by piece. So it came apart piece by piece and the protector went wherever God wanted him to go that night and able to receive and has continued to be able to receive the blessings, the benefits, the deliverance, the freedom, the healing, the ministry of, of Christ and God. That's an example of what the protectors do. They're set up by the enemy. They come in through various means. Often, in my experience, people aren't aware that they're there. What they are aware of is they seem to hit a wall. Is there a protector in the way? Is there a protectorate? Is there a governor? And by the way, governors tend to, to, to work a little bit more bigger territory than just an individual. They tend to work over families, buildings, maybe even neighborhoods. Kind of like a small level ruling territorial spirit. Kind of think of a governor. Just as in the physical implementation, we have governors over cities, and states, you know, whatever whatever the municipality, whatever level that the governor is at. They're in our nation, in our land, they're over states. And so they, they tend to work in bigger areas. The next one is, is what we call enforcers. There are enforcers. There has to be a way for, in the Stockholm Syndrome situation, there has to be a way for the hostage to... To continually be put in a place of subjugation, even though they are being given some of their needs met. There, there's something going on that keeps them attracted, if you will, quote unquote, to the captor. And the enforcer's job is often to enable the negative consequences of, okay, Sally thinks she's going to, you know, run away because everybody's distracted, and then she's caught, and she, you know, punished accordingly, and that teaches her a lesson enforces. The enforcers are literally what their name says, just like the protector protects, but the enforcer does the same thing. They are there to enforce and make sure that things don't happen. The third one are hinderers and stealers. That's the third bucket or category that we find here. We find hinderers. Um, you know, spirits of Mr. Twisty, that's a great hinderer. You know, spirits of distortion, rejection hearing, rejection seeing, they're hinderers. You know, they get in there and they interfere, the stealers. You and I have talked talked about, you know, the birds of the air. Jesus gave that uh, a teaching about the, the birds that they come and what do they do? They steal. And we know that birds in the natural realm, they both, they both take things and they also plant things. They'll scatter seed. They'll carry it around. It's like, you know, bees 
trees distribute pollen, birds carry seeds around. And so we have these hinderers and we have these stealers working together. This is why in the in the physical realm, the Stockholm Syndrome is, is most effective when there's multiple people. What you'll find, if you, if you look at the cases, the quote famous cases, the quote big cases, uh, almost always they're not done by a lone individual. The fourth one are interferers. Interferers work a little different than hinderers. Technically, I guess interferers would be would, would be maybe more akin to the rejection here and the, the Mr. Twisty, but they, they interfere with things. They mess with the communications. They mess with the mind. I mentioned the, the symptoms, the characteristics of people who come out of Stockholm Syndrome on purpose, and it's similar to PTSD. They, they get a, a, a very, very distorted sense of reality. You know, you you've done a lot of work with Rust Isdar in the in the in the work that he's done. It's very similar, right? A lot of people that come out of the cases that he has investigated and, and they've they've brought people out of. It's all you know. If you grow up in a box, you think the world is a box. That's all you know. That that's your 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 known universe to you. And inter between the hinderers, the stealers, and the interferers, they keep all of that real for that person. What do they do for us? How does that work spiritually? People may be asking, well, 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 Mark, this doesn't make any sense because, you know, we can pray and we have the Holy Spirit and we can read the Word of God and, and God can come in. He's just going to come in and, and rescue me. And yes, God is our rescuer. He is our kinsman redeemer. He does send, you know, his, what I call the Holy Spirit seal team to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of light. But all of those are conditioned upon one basic thing, and that is you need to know that there's a savior and it's not the one holding you captive right and for example this young woman that we had been praying for she knew all these truths but they bounced off her literally like arrows would off of a uh, knight with all that armor on they weren't going to go anywhere these protectors enforcers hinderers stealers interferers they're all effective at their job when they go undetected when you think your life in a box is life now, obviously, most people don't grow up in a box. What are we talking about? We're talking about, well, you know, maybe it's the apostasy that they're being taught Sunday after Sunday. Maybe it's the, you know, what we call a lukewarm, you know, walk with God. Maybe it's the, you know, okay, I was saved when I was six and I'm good the rest of my life. I'm going to do what I want or, or whatever. There are Stockholm Syndrome captives, hostages. They may work next to us. We, they may live next to us. We, they may be standing in front or behind us at the checkout of the grocery store. They're all over this planet, Sheila, as you and I both well know. And God has come to set them free. And we'll talk about that in a minute. To get free, the reason I'm enumerating these, and the, again, these, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but these are some things to look for, ask God about, pursue, look at in, in, the, in the life. And, and I have found... When people, Derek Prince used to say that, the people that receive deliverance are desperate. When these people are desperate, then these things can be identified. In in most of the cases in the natural world, in most of the Stockholm Syndrome cases, not all, in most of them, it's not the hostages who initiated getting out. Some, some did, but in most of the cases... It was something else, somebody outside, someone identified, like in the, the one famous case where they dressed the girl up all the time on the shopping at you know, Walmart or wherever they were, the local, I think it was Walmart, they were actually recognized. The next one is what we call reinforcers. Now, reinforcers and enforcers are very similar, uh, but reinforcers are slightly different. And reinforcers are, are part of what I call the demonic setup. Since I'll keep this at, at somewhat of a high level here, but there are demonic setups that happen in these people's lives. 
and the reinforcers are there to keep those lessons fresh, to keep reinforcing what is really unreality for the person. I'm just going to list some. Victimhood. Uh, victimhood is a reinforcer. It's a setup that happens. If the enemy can get us set up from very early or at some critical juncture point of our life, may, maybe adolescence, maybe graduation, college, you know, whatever, may, maybe a marriage or a divorce or some, some key milestone point of our life, and we can believe that lie that, that we are a victim, that is the work of a reinforcer. Um, legalism. This young man that I that I mentioned, we were praying for uh, later on. Uh, God had removed many of these barriers, and now there was these items I'm going to talk about. They were kind of left. There were still some reinforcers working uh, in there, and 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 we got after them and, and made them go away. But God showed us clearly how legalism and idealism work together. And part of that unholy trinity, I will throw in the religious spirits. And the religious spirits and idealism and legalism work together. And, and in fact, they're required because one has to reinforce the other. Again, it's the perfect counterfeit of God's God's Trinity. We have God's, you know, three-stranded uh, uh, cord. It's not easily broken, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We we get that concept, and so idealism, legalism, and religious spirits work together. Uh, let me talk about that briefly, because that's a such a big deal for as people are, as you know, they contact us frequently. There are people who are walking away from the apostate churches, and they're, where where can I go? Where where can I go for truth? Where can I go for solid biblical teaching i'm looking to find the true real god and they're full of these things the religious spirits legalism idealism works like this um and how they reinforce victimhood so you take a person so this young man he's in a situation now at his job uh, he's trying to move in a direction that he believes god has told him to move in and the manager just seems to keep shutting the door and he's doing everything he knows to allow god to go and move but the pushback that he experiences the things that he is experiencing in his life are not jiving with what he has been taught by his religious teachers. He, he's not allowed to go down certain roads because of his legalistic teaching, because he was it was indoctrinated and, and reinforced in him from for years that these things are wrong. A Christian doesn't do this. A Christian doesn't feel this. A Christian doesn't think this. A Christian doesn't act this way. For example, we've all heard that. We all probably have experienced that. And what is behind that is this legalism. Well, if I check all the boxes in my legalistic checklist, the lie that we will be in some idealistic state, and then this stuff shouldn't be happening. And all of that is a lie. And what happens is that person does that enough times, they give up. They feel powerless. They give up control. They're done. I, I have met so many men over the years, Sheila, and, and they've walked away from God because of these very things. They are now captives. They do whatever the whim of their captor tells them to do. Oh, yeah, I know I shouldn't do this, but I don't care. Oh, yeah, I know this. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. They, they become these lifeless, hopeless people. Sometimes they're, they're not even people anymore, really. And so those are the reinforcers. So we have protectors, enforcers, hinderers, stealers, and interferers, reinforcers. And the setups that the enemy does are to get us to allow them into our lives and then to begin to cooperate with them. And then they become our false saviors. Ultimately, Sheila, they become the ones sitting on our throne, giving us the marching orders. And we've given them the keys to the, our car, to use our car 
is a life. You know, our life is a car metaphor. We give them the keys and we give them the steering wheel and we go, you know, you know, hide out in the trunk or I don't know what we do, but we just kind of, we're along for the ride at that point and we really are a victim. That's kind of how, what the summary is. One of the scriptures that God used to be, when I began this process of discovering this, again, he taught us through people that he brought to us uh, for prayer, for deliverance, for freedom. And by the way, that young man and that woman, are, they are doing absolutely wonderful. God is really blessing and, and filling them and using them in powerful ways. But in Deuteronomy, the Lord will vindicate his people and relent concerning his servants when he sees their strength is gone and no one is left slave or free. He will say, now, and this is, this is in quotes, this is God saying, now, where are their gods? The rock they took refuge in, the gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up to help you. And in the Hebrew there, the King James Version has it pretty good, that shelter is protection. And so what we have as a picture here is is God is using this technique that he that he uses often through his prophets in the Old Testament of having a conversation like he did with Job in their rhetorical questions. You know, you don't answer those questions that God gives you. He says, now where are their gods? Who are their gods? Who are the gods of the Israelites? Who are the gods of the people around them? They're the pagan gods. You know, they're the ones that Scripture says, you know, they're the ones made out of dead wood and lifeless stones, the one that have no breath in them. But they ate the fat of their sacrifices, right? God's people gave the fat that was reserved for God. God clearly said in the Levitical law, the fat is mine, it's reserved for me, and the people gave it to the false gods. And they drank the wine of the drink offerings. God says, hey, where's my, where's my drink offering? What are you doing drinking? That's for me. It's not for your small g gods, because it is small g here, and that's what they are. Them. Who's them? Let your false gods rise up to help you. Let them give you protection. Um, I love it when God does this. You know, I just, I just kind of get excited because you know today we would call that almost, you know, that's that. It, it's almost like cynical, but it, it's a good cynical. God can be cynical if he wants. He's God. He, he could speak that way because it's true. He's saying, look, y- y'all been running around following these false gods, doing all this stuff, giving to them what you're supposed to give to me. Let them help you, okay? And this isn't the only time he says he says this elsewhere. He says it through Jeremiah and some of his other prophets. But I think this is one of the earliest times here through Moses and Deuteronomy. Let them give you protection. And as I looked into that, I looked into that protection, I looked into what was going on and what the Israelites had done. God had had given to them through the deliverance and, 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 the, and the freedom from captivity and all of that. You know, their, but their bodies were free, but their hearts were still captive. You know, yes, their feet were, were wandering through the wilderness toward the promised land, but their hearts were still in Egypt. That's why I began with that quote. You know, I want to go back, you know, the the old Keith Green song, right? You want to go back to Egypt, where it's warm and secure. Their hearts are captive. Their hearts belong to another God, and it's not Jehovah, their creator. And he says, let them go and protect you. God reveals himself. God shows us that he is our need meter. He is our protector. He is our enforcer. He is our reinforcer. He is the one who leads us out of bondage. He is the one who sets us free. He is the one who holds the key to unlock the chains to which we are shackled, right? It's him and he alone. Yet, for various reasons, we allow the enemy to come and make us hostages. How do we get out of this? What has God given to us? What what has he provided for us so that we don't have to be in this situation anymore. It's God who has given us, as it says in Romans 8, uh, those first 
a handful of verses there. The law of the spirit of life. Who is that? It's Jesus, what he says in John 1. He's the light of the world. In the light is the life of men, right? So you have to make that connection. It's Jesus Paul's talking about. It's only Jesus. He has come and he has set us free, provided that we come to God the way that he's prescribed. And he has offered healing. They describe the characteristics of someone coming out of these uh, hostage situations as being like PTSD. And they need healing. We need to understand the reality that wrong is not right, that black is not white, that up is not down. Their, their entire world has just been completely, you know, life in a box is, is, is just, it's upside down. It's inside out. It's backwards. And we need the truth. Jesus said he's the truth. The truth is a person, is his name, Jesus. And then deliverance. It's in that name of Jesus, the name given by God to Jesus, the name above all names, every other name. It's the only name upon which men can call and be saved. It's the only name which we can use to call the demons out, to remove these captors, to remove the protectorates, to remove the hinderers, to bind up and remove the stealers, the reinforcers, the enforcers, all of these entities that are afflicting us and keeping us in our spiritual hostage situation. It's only God. We are overcomers in Christ. Let me give a couple scripture references. Somebody wants to write them down. And it's a great, great passages to meditate on. If you're, you know, you're prone to think that you're a victim, you're prone to think that, that, oh my goodness, you know, this situation, you know, it's just an endless cycle of despair and hopelessness and all this stuff. And and I see glimpses of truth and light, but I just don't know how to turn. Where we turn is, is to Christ. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Tremendous, tremendous passage of truth, of victory, of triumph that God has offered to us. I'm going to list a few others here. I'm not going to read them all. John 16, 33. 1 John 4, 4. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. That's a very, very powerful message of truth there. Revelations 2, 7 through 11. Revelation 2, 26. Revelation 3, 21. And lastly, John 10, 28 to 30. These are all tremendous verses of truth and power for us. The other thing that we need to do is we need to understand that God has a perspective on or of our captors. And it's recorded in Psalm 139, verse 21. One of the things that I'm confident, Sheila, you've experienced this. I don't know that we've ever talked about this, but I know we've experienced this. And uh, Pastor Monty and many, many, many other people uh, have. And in fact, this is recorded in Pastor Monty's little booklet, um, Why Won't It Go, I believe is the title. And that's the the truth that, that when we see our captors not as captors, but when we see them as our helper, our need meter, our, our whatever, you know, in a good light, a good way, then we have the wrong attitude, we have the wrong heart set, we have the wrong mindset toward them, and we don't hate them. God actually hates them. God hates the enemies. God hates these entities who have come to hold us hostage, to inflict torment upon us, because we are God's creation. And he doesn't take lightly to these 
things coming and treating badly what is God's creation. You see, God has, there's another great principle, God has a vested interest in us because we are his property. And as his property, he is responsible because he is the creator and the owner. He has all the rights and he has all the responsibility. And he takes that seriously. And so Psalm, I'm going to read this passage, Psalm 139, 21 through 24, says, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. Did you know that phrase was in the Bible? Perfect hatred. I gotta stop there, Sheila. I, I have to stop there. Do you remember I talked like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes ago about the triad of religious spirits, legalism, and idealism? One of the things that reinforces the enemy's scheme is so that people are taught not to hate. And because of that, there's a reason the enemy does. There's a reason this world is flooded with tolerance. There's a reason this world is flooded with every, like you say, your words, hold hands and sing kumbaya. And that's this right here, because we will not hate those who have shackled us. We will not hate those who are ripping and stealing lives. And I'm here to tell you, sister, as far as my family is concerned, and people in my family, including myself, have experienced most of what we're talking about tonight as a father, as a husband, as the high priest of my home. I have nothing but perfect hatred for the enemy when he comes to rip to shreds my family. Uh-uh, no. No, 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 no. Not going to happen. Verse 22, I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I, I have to tell you, Sheila, as I was studying and preparing and praying the last few months for, the, for this message, when I read this passage, I almost fell over. Not because I tripped and fell. <laughs> But I grew up with that triad beating me to a pulp over and over and over. Religious spirits, idealism, and legalism. And I was always taught that verse 23 and 24, search me, O God. I was taught that, oh, search me, O God, and know my heart and try me. You know how I was taught that? To pray that every night in case there was some sin in my life. Because when I, if I died in my sleep, I was going to hell and God didn't love me anymore. If I, you know, did anything that wasn't on the checklist, et cetera, et cetera. And God, God reminded me, he said, Mark, that's not what this means at all. See, verse 23, this is a whole message for another day, but I, you, I'm going I'm to give it to you tonight, this little snippet. Verse 23 and 24 is related to the previous verses, that they don't stand alone. So what am I asking the Lord to show me? Do I love captors, God? Are there enemies in my life who I don't hate? Do I have strange bedfellows in my life? Am I a hostage? Have I been running around defending that captor? So when Pastor Monty or Sheila or, or Pastor Mark or somebody comes and presents the truth to me, I get mad at them and I tell them, no, don't come in and rescue me because you're wrong. I'm right. You see, does that make sense? That's what verse 23 and 24 is all about. It's about what happens in verse 21 and 22. So I'm going to leave that there. We have to hate our enemies as God hates them, or we will never, ever want them gone. Oswald Chambers has this beautiful phrase. He says, God will never deliver us from our friends, only 
our enemies. And so as we pray and minister to others and we examine our own lives, I trust this will be helpful and this will empower people to explore some areas to find out, ask the Lord, is it Stockholm Syndrome thing Mark talked about? Is that, is that what's going on here? Is there some protector at work here? Is there some, some lying reinforcer? Is there some systems, that demonic setups that have been going on? You had a powerful show with the Hutchinsons about aces and you've had powerful shows with, with many others. And all of these topics are related. How are they all related? They all are implementers of keeping us, what? Hostages. In the kingdom of darkness, chained and enslaved and shackled to our captors. And Sheila, you know this full well. God did not do all that he's done. He did not create us to be shackled. So in summary, Sheila, God has offered us freedom from the demonic protectors, the protectorates, the governors, from the enforcers, from those hinderers, those stealers, those interferers, those reinforcers, all of those things that come out of the enemy camp, feeling and believing you're a victim, legalism, idealism, self-pity, self-worth, religious spirits, falsehoods, all of those things that hold us down, literally in the spiritual realm, many of us are living in that sub-basement little place that God did not design us for that purpose. We are to be living with him. The freedom that he offers allows us to be seated with him. According to Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, we are seated in the third heaven, far above all rulers, powers, principalities, authorities, in Christ, with Christ, right there next to the throne of the Father at the right hand. And so because of that tonight, Sheila, let's exercise that authority. Let's pray for your listeners who may be dealing with some of these issues. Father, God, we come to you tonight. We thank you for the access you've given to us through your son Jesus, his obedience, his shed blood, and your Kratos power, resurrected, raising him from the dead. And your word says that because of his obedience, because he completed his mission, you have given him a name above all names. And so tonight, in the name of Jesus, we take that exousia authority that's been given to us as we are seated with him far above those rulers, powers, principalities, and authorities. And we come again these workers of iniquity tonight. Satan, we put you on notice tonight that we're coming after you. We bind every protector in the lives of the listeners tonight. Every protectorate in Jesus' name, we command you to go. Get out in Jesus' name. Every governor over the families, over the, the land, over the properties, over those places where the people are literally captives down in those sub-basement places in cages and chains, we bind that in the name of Jesus. Every enforcer, we come again Against you in the name of Jesus. We bind you and command you out of the people right now, and we loose the angels of God with authority and orders signed in the blood of Jesus from the throne room itself to come and dismantle every protector. Come and dismantle every protectorate. We renounce you, we reject you, all of the plans the enemy has for us, every device, design, scheme, mechanation. We break it off of the people in the name of Jesus. We disagree, we fall out of a agreement. We disallow them. We disavow them in Jesus' name. Get out now. We come against you hinderers in the name of Jesus. Go. We loose the angels of God to go with those huge draft horses. Hook up to the walls of hinderers and bring them crashing down so that the Holy Spirit can now move in. The Red Cross truck, so to speak, of God can come and the healing balm of Gilead can begin to be applied. All of you stealers, we bind your claws. We break your beaks. We scatter you in the name of Jesus. We lose control.
confusion upon the enemy camp now. We lose civil war in the name of Jesus. We lose division and derision and confusion in Jesus' name. We forbid you from working anymore together to keep God's people in captivity, to keep them as hostages. Tonight, God is raising up men and women across this land to come out of Egypt, to come out of of captivity and be free be the person that God has ordained you to be people tonight hear the word of God that your days were written in his book before you came to be we bind every interferer get out come on your twisted network your little twisted things he said she said rejection here I bind you command you to go rejection see get out in the name of Jesus Lord put the salve the healing balm of Gilead upon their ears upon their eyes bind every demonic force sitting in the ear gate and the eye gate and all the other senses in Jesus name the senses of these people they get usurped they get twisted they get upside down we are not a victim we know who we are get out victim what I bind you and I command you to leave come out of the people now come on up and out go in Jesus name I bind you spirit of legalism all the legalism all the do-it-yourself religion the work of man the checklist get out I bind you spirit of idealism go in Jesus name Satan you don't have a hold on these people you didn't create them they don't belong to you so get out in Jesus' name. Negative self-worth, negative self-image, self-pity, command you to leave. Come on, the spirit of Eeyore, the spirit of puddle glum. Come on, get out in Jesus' name. All you religious spirits, all you false religious spirits, I bind you and command you to leave these people of God tonight. Just agree with it. Take a deep breath. Blow them out. And every lying tongue we condemn in the name of Jesus, we bind you false truths, spirits of falsehood, every lie. Then we bind all the mind blinding, the mind racing, the occultic mind control, the psychic prayers, all of the caging, all the incantations, all of the workers of iniquity, the soul hunters, all of these things that have come after the people of God to hold them hostage, we bind them. We send all of these operations back. Send the chains back on them. Empty. Put them back on the enemy tonight in the name of Jesus. We bind all the mind control spirits. We bind you, spirit of Arturus, Maseroth, Taurus, Mars. We blind your third eye, Mars, in the name of Jesus. And we bind Betelgeuse and Marticus and we bind and sever the transmissions from the mind control satellite. We bind the spirit of Apollyon, of Octopus, that thing that just wraps around the mind. Angels go and smash it as they agree with you, God, in Jesus' name. We bind you up, spirit of the captor. All you spirits of the captor, you that have been, been sent to hold people in captivity, we bind you, command you to leave right now. We break the chains that hold upon the people. We break off all spirits of disambiguation. We break off the hostages in Jesus name all you spirits of Stockholm spirits of the Stockholm syndrome spirits of Stockholm spirits of the captor of the bank robbers of all of those who come in and, and, and abuse the power position authority to create a hostage situation the hopelessness the learned helplessness we bind you spirits of learned helplessness get off the people now get out up and out go ahead people take a deep breath agree in your mind blow them out get them out of there in Jesus name in Jesus name all cognitive disassociation association, any cognitive impairment, the spirit of confusion, the blurred memory, the refusal to accept the reality of events, the recurring flashbacks, all of the enforcers, the reinforcers, and the implementers of all of the PTSD symptoms, we bind you and command you out of the people now, in Jesus' name. We bind every one of you emotional, emotional spirits, spirits of work at the emotions of the people, the lack of feeling, the coldness, the hard-heartedness, spirit of the hard heart, spirit of the me 
Rain Man, all the warmongering, the fear-mongering, the, the monstrous rage spirits, get out in Jesus' name. We bind you, spirit of fear. We cut you off in the seed of root fear and command you to leave. Go on, go. Helplessness, learned helplessness, hopelessness in Jesus' name. We are not hopeless in Christ. Christ is our hope. We bind you, spirit of aggression, spirit of depression, dismay. Every one of you, the three Ds, get out in Jesus' name. Spirit of guilt, shame, condemnation, get out. It's not your fault. We have been taken hostage. We were born into the kingdom of darkness and captive to the enemy. Get out in Jesus' name. Get out the spirit of false dependency, the spirit of dependency, the codependent spirits. Get out in Jesus' name. The false reliance, false needing, the false sympathy, the false empathy, all of that false responsibility. Out in Jesus' name now. We bind you, command you to leave. Take a deep breath, breathe them out. In Jesus' name, we bind you the spirit of of brainwashing. Every spirit that's working in the brain, all of you working with Apollyon, all of you working with Octopus, all of you working in the minds, get out. Get out in Jesus' name. Prefrontal cortex, out of the amygdala, out of the basal ganglia, out of the deep limbic system, go in Jesus' name. We bind all of you spirits who work in the social realm, spirits of anxiety, irritability, of cautious, estrangement, lack of trusting. I can't trust anybody now. I don't know what's going to happen. Just constantly being on edge and those walls that have been built up to keep the bad guys out. Angels go and remove. Take those walls down one by one. Take the armor off the protectorates. I bind all of you demons working in the physical realm of the bodies of these hostages of the people of God. Get out. Spirits of cancer, spirits of diabetes, all you premature death spirits of stroke, of heart attack, of cancer, sickness, infirmity afflictions all of you that are causing issues in the people's bodies get out in jesus name sleeplessness sleep too much uh, food addiction food deprivation the coping mechanisms that are not of god get out in jesus name we declare in your mind and your heart people you don't need them you they are your enemies it's okay to hate them and say that they must go in jesus name the angels will escort them to wherever god wants them until the time when they face judgment in jesus name right now every false coping mechanism usurping of the survival instinct get out in jesus name in jesus name get out all of you spirits who enforce dominance hierarchies manipulation a control occultic control witchcraft submission false submission dominance hierarchy submissions all of the oppressive relationships the control the manipulation get out in jesus name we bind all the spirits who cause the shattered mind the spirit of shattered mind the fragmented mind all of you that have been operating in the mind to segment to isolate to cause fracturing to confuse to cause questioning of identity arrested development arrested thinking arrested in every way in jesus name any spirits of immaturity all of you enforcers and reinforcers that that are telling the people they are not worthy they can't live up to their standards and their minds can't think clearly their mind is a roller coaster up and down and in and out and they can't put two coherent thoughts together get out in the name of jesus spirits of generational captivity we cut you off we break off all curses off the people of the generations of captivity in jesus name and we bind every abuse every battered woman syndrome any battered men syndrome all the abuse all of the subjugation all of the codependent 
codependent abuse, we bind up the family of the alcoholic spirits. All of the roles that are played in the alcoholic spirit family in Jesus' name, we break those off. And along with that, we break off the curse of atheism. We break off the spirit of denial. And I loose the spirit of hope. I loose the spirit of life upon the people tonight. I loose the identity, God, that you have for each one. Remind them that you have their books recorded before they have come to be. Remind them of whose they are. Remind them who created them. Restore. Renew. Holy Spirit, come. Move into every area that's been vacated as these people walk in freedom and literally some of them new identities in Jesus' name. The captors often change the names of their victims, but tonight God has a name for you. The Word of God says, and it's a name that no one knows but Him. It's a new name that will be given to you. It's written. It's that white stone. And God Almighty has declared that you are His creation. You are His son and daughter, and you belong to Him, and He takes that very, very seriously. So serious that He incarnated Himself as Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for giving us, literally yourself, for that freedom that you have given to us. Continue to minister to your people in the name of Jesus. We thank you and we praise you, God, that you have set us free. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Mark. Very powerful stuff. Folks, go to WCCD.com. When you go to the homepage, you'll see in red letters, you'll see new workshop date, April 27th to the 29th. Montrose, Colorado, that is this weekend. So get out to that. Hey, if you live anywhere near Colorado, jump in your vehicle and head on out. And I'm telling you, life changing. Also, very quickly, I just want to give out Mark's information. Mark, it was a great show. He's a good friend. Let him know you heard him on the show. That's the least we can do. This is a very powerful teaching and prayer. Disciplejourney.com. All one word, disciplejourney.com. Again, reach out to Mark and let him know you heard him on the program. Ooh, we're a couple minutes over today, but it was well worth it. Mark, such a pleasure. Looking forward to coming back. Sir, thank you for coming on the program tonight. It's my pleasure, Sheila. Thank you. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Good night and God bless.